You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you as always. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz again on this Friday. And we have some breaking news right as the show is starting. Jeff Passan reporting that Padre star Fernando Tatis Jr. has violated Major League Baseball's performance-enhancing drug policy and is facing a suspension. This according to sources familiar with the situation. And Courtney, man, is this a huge blow for a super talented, super promising young player. And uh, man, I mean... It, this is this has major potential to affect a team that we all thought could have a real run in the postseason and uh, surprise a lot of teams. Yeah, it was only a couple days ago that he was beginning a rehab assignment in Double A, and we were expecting this ramp up period through Double A AA and Triple A, and in you know the timetable for his return. Bob Melvin said he thought it would be mid August ish. That's a direct quote. So now. How vague that is. How vague is this going to be in terms of his what, potential suspension levied mm-hmm. on top of that? Like, this is this is a huge blow for a team that just went all in at the trade deadline, and they were anticipating that the power they'd be getting from Fernando Tatis back in the lineup would help push this team in the direction of a wild card spot. Oh, now I feel like there's 80 games. A- 80 games. Jeff Passan has followed up his reporting with the suspension of 80 games per the MLB. It'll cover the rest of this season and render him ineligible for the postseason. We'll continue into the beginning of next year. And as Passan reports on the verge of returning, he's done for the year. Courtney, there are so many ways you can let down a team with this kind of decision, but Boy, does that hurt a little bit extra when your team just went out and gave away what they did to add Juan Soto and to really make a push, even as they look at that massive deficit sitting behind the Dodgers. There was a real belief that it was worth getting all this talent. That hurts. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And thinking of what they just gave up in terms of their farm system, too. Mm-hmm. Like, not, I, I think that that's still absolutely worth it for Juan Soto and, you know, before that, going out and getting Josh Hader, too. I mean, you have pieces that are going to be part of this roster, but this was an all-in sort of move for the Padres to pull off right at the trade deadline with the anticipation that Fernando Tatis was going to be playing baseball Mm -hmm. here in a matter of weeks. So, yikes, 80 games. Sarah, I was not expecting you to uh, drop that bit on me. I didn't think it would be that many, but wow. I mean, I can't even imagine what possibly Uh Major League Baseball was able to find within this that would determine it would be half a season, more than half a season gone for Fernando Tatis. Well, we'll keep you updated as Jeff Passan continues reporting. You can, of course, follow his Twitter for updates as well. Don't forget, tune in tomorrow, an AL East rivalry as the Red Sox host the Yankees, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. That, Fernando Tatis Jr. news, not the only news to hit right before the show started. Deshaun Watson has spoken before taking the field for the Browns at the Jaguars tonight. First, we are, frankly, I'm shocked that he will be in uniform playing in this game. I thought the NFL would do anything to make sure that that ruling would come down where they hopefully are pursuing, um, you know, per their own uh, claims, a full season or an indefinite suspension wherein he would not be allowed in the preseason. But we have heard nothing from Roger Goodell's designee as of now, and Deshaun Watson will play. So Aditi Akinwale spoke to him, and this ran on News 5 in Cleveland just a few moments ago. 
Okay, Deshaun, as you get ready to get on the bus, let's just start with this one. It's been 19 months since you played a game of competitive football. How are you feeling about that? I'm super excited. I'm excited to get out there with my new teammates and go out there and compete. Um, each and every snap, I want to make sure I cherish that because I'm not sure when the next time I'll be able to get out there with those guys. So um, I'm, I'm super excited. As you say that, your eligibility is still in question. And although this appeal is ongoing, I have to ask you, the initial ruling from Judge Sue Robinson made a very specific point of saying that your lack of remorse played into her decision making. It's been a part of the narrative surrounding you. What is your response to that? Look, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to all the women that I've impacted in this situation. Um, my decisions that I made in my life that put me in this position, um, you know, I, I would definitely like to have back. But I want to continue to move forward and grow and learn and, and show that, you know, I am a, a true person of, of character and I want to keep pushing forward. Grow and learn. We fully expect that there will be some time that you are away from the team. What does your growth on a personal level look like? How are you spending that time? Uh, I know I have a lot of work to put in, um, especially on the field, to be able to make sure I'm ready to play uh, whenever that time comes, whenever I can step back on the field. But also, the biggest thing is I want to continue counseling, and I want to make sure that I'm growing as a person, as an individual, uh, for my decision-making on and off the field, and I want to make sure that you know I'm just evolving in the community as much as possible, and that's for the Cleveland community, that's the NFL community, and beyond. Okay. We appreciate the time, Deshaun. Thank you. I mean, Cordy, that is a hell of a departure from everything we've heard from him in the past where he said he has no remorse, he doesn't regret anything. And after Sue L. Robinson put that in the ruling, as Aditi pointed out, and also after new women came forward with claims against him because they said they were angered by that language uh, after seeing him say that in a, uh, I believe it was in the HBO Real Sports, or it might have been his presser um, with the Browns. Uh, either way, it feels like he's decided to take a different tack. It is, and I wonder, knowing now that he's playing, he just took his first snap as a Cleveland Brown uh, in this preseason game against Jacksonville, if he thinks this is some sort of Hail Mary effort to appeal to Peter C. Harvey, who has not yet ruled, uh, or at least not that we know, because a decision has not been handed down yet on what that appeal via the NFL will look like, how many more games can be added. I know that there have been reports that Deshaun was trying to levy for an eight-game suspension on top of a very hefty fine with the NFL to, to lessen the burden of the amount of games that he's going to miss. I mean, it feels like he's doing a lot way too late in the process mm -hmm. here. And I don't really know how much you can actually look into that and, and find that believable. You know, the one thing I find that's really intriguing about this, Sarah, is that, you know, Aditi now works for CBS Sports. She was great. She worked at NFL Network for a long time. And now she's at CBS Sports. The Cleveland Browns posted this on their Twitter account. Something about that just feels mm -hmm. – um, like the, like the admission of guilt almost is like right there reading between everything that he's saying there, which he has not said before, and that the team is putting that message out on behalf of their quarterback who's currently playing in a preseason game just feels, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about it. It's just a strange, it doesn't, I, we've never seen anything like that. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. Yeah. Well, and Courtney, it's Courtney Cronin, Sarah Spain at CSPN Radio, uh, Spain and Fitz. I know that there are people out, the, out there that maybe roll their eyes at this, but as I was watching that, I felt deeply uncomfortable for her doing her job. And it made me think of the people around Deshaun Watson during this time. 
teammates, staff members, trainers, massage therapists, nutritionists, wives, girlfriends, coaches, everybody. When you find out that someone has been credibly and per Sue L. Robinson and, and per the NFL's pr presentation proven to have sexually assaulted multiple people and to have premeditated predatory behavior like this, there's a pathology there to wanting to find people and knowingly make them uncomfortable, knowingly trap them in these situations. It's not the same as he wanted sexual pleasure. You can go places for that where you consensually get it, e either paying for it or otherwise. That's not what he wanted. And to know that Aditi and others will be put in this terrifically uncomfortable and potentially scary situation of being around someone who we know has these behaviors for however many times, 30 plus accusations at least, um, is just a reminder that this isn't just the idea of something and then punishment for the sake of punishment so we can all feel better about it. There's a real issue at play here within him that I think is part of the reason that the NFL is insisting on some sort of treatment as part of the punishment they're seeking. Yeah, and it's interesting in that third question that she asked, talking about how are you going to try to improve yourself personally away, the his first thought is football. I mean, of course he goes to, you know, counseling and continue that, but he's like, I want to need, I'm going to do what I need to do on to be able to be ready to play on the field. I think that's a little tone deaf from somebody who mm -hmm. for the first time publicly apologized to the women that have accused him of inappropriate sexual misconduct. Like, I don't know how you can listen to what Deshaun Watson is saying and actually believe it because this doesn't feel – this feels like he, he sees the writing on the wall and is trying his darnest right now to help his case, which I feel like is already, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered considering what we know the NFL wants this this decision, this final decision to be via the appeal. And I don't know if Deshaun Watson in any words that come out of his mouth, especially when he's talking about what he can do for himself personally to try to help these sort of behaviors. Like it's all an admission of guilt because if you didn't have any of these issues, you wouldn't be needing to seek this sort of counseling. Like, so we have a lot more NFL weird. to get to and Deshaun Watson to get to. We'll run down the slate of games that have already begun and are set to begin what we'll be looking for in them and get to another couple things as well next. It's ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance here to help you score big savings to see how much you can save on auto insurance. Visit Progressive.com. All sorts of stuff in quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin with you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get back to Deshaun Watson out on the field and Fernando Tatis suspended 80 games for performance-enhancing drugs. But we do have a couple other stories to get to, and when we got no time and lots to get to, this is how we do it. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Courtney, it's been quite a season in the WNBA for legendary players hanging them up. We saw Sue Bird play in her last home game, and now we say goodbye to Sylvia Fowles, who will be playing in her final regular season game. All-time leader in rebounds, double-doubles, field goal percentage, one of the greatest players of all time, former MVP, and keeping things interesting in an ESPNW story, talking all about how her plans are to become a mortician after retiring. What's what's one way to go out? <laughs> yeah, I, this article by Kevin Van Valkenburg is up at ESPN.com. I was scanning through it before the show, and 
you know, she talks about how she believes in reincarnation. She likes, you know, she thinks that she'll come back as an animal or at least would hope to an eagle or an elephant. That is her choice. So I thought the conversation about, you know, the end of her career and also dealing with the end of people's lives was a nice uh, tie in there. And, you know, that's a pretty interesting career pivot going from being a 15 year professional basketball player into uh, dealing with the dealing with a deceased. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would go that route if I could handle that, but um, more power to her. I mean, we have seen a lot of uh, a lot of cool moments in the WNBA. Not so cool ones with Diana Taurasi getting hurt last week, but um, some cool ends to to careers here that we're seeing here at the end of this season before the playoffs start. Yeah, and there is also a extremely wild and chaotic race for the playoffs happening at the exact same time. Heading into these last few games, there was a four-way tie for seventh place with two games apiece for all of those teams. So pretty wild. And that gets us to the next story. Quickies. Quickies. Thank you. Uh, the Wings find their way into the postseason with a win over the Liberty last night. Marina Mabry, 31 points. That's a career high to lead Dallas. They've won five in a row. They're now sitting at 17 and 16 with three games left. So they join Chicago, Vegas, Connecticut, Seattle, and Washington in the playoffs. And with two spots left to be claimed, there are five teams still in contention. I believe Indiana and the Sparks are officially out um, at least, uh, if I remember correctly, um, but yeah, there, uh, there's, there's a handful of teams still in it with a couple games to play and, uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch this come down to the wire. No, I agree. I feel like this is the best way to set up the playoff field on top of some of those storylines with, you know, players who are going to be missing the postseason, like Diana Taurasi. We know that Skylar Diggins-Smith is going to be out for the next two regular season games to end the season. Hopefully, I would assume that means she's back and trying to get healthy then for the postseason. There's a lot of drama this year around the WNBA playoffs, or at least setting up the field for the playoffs. And I think it's, you know, great for the casual fan right now to start paying attention because those playoffs are fun and they are like, I'm really looking forward to it this year. Now that I actually live in Chicago and can go to sky games. There you go. I hope to see you there. Um, I actually had the date wrong, by the way, the the wings um, had already clinched. So that was not last night, but the chaos does continue. And uh, speaking of the playoffs, there's a different format this year too. So there's no buy, the first round also is a 2-1 three-game series. So if you get home court, that's huge because you're playing two games at home uh, to try to eliminate the opposing team without making it go to three. All right, final piece of quickies here. Quickies. Kirk Cousins has COVID. Courtney, uh, you used to cover this team, and you remember him saying definitively if he needs to walk around in a plexiglass box to prevent himself from getting COVID, he will do that. And uh, he already got it once. So apparently he keeps forgetting the box. He keeps forgetting the box. He is adamant he's not going to get vaccinated. So, I mean, here we are. And this was my initial thought yesterday when Kevin O'Connell said that Kirk was not feeling well and he had an excused absence. They sent him home from the facility and, you know, this is a second time getting COVID. I guess if you're the Vikings, you're okay with it now happening versus during the regular season because it's now the same for vaccinated and unvaccinated players where he'll be out for five days regardless. So they get him back on Tuesday. 
The outrage last year, though, like it almost gave me PTSD when I was like reading that headline because I remember New Year's Eve was when he tested positive for COVID right before the Packers game that the Vikings needed to win that game in order to back their way into the playoffs. And obviously they didn't. They got killed. Um, it's wild that it keeps, you know, this is centered around the same player who has been so outspoken about his vaccination status and made some really not so great comments about it along the way. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, this is, but I don't see the same sort of outrage out there now, just knowing that the rules have changed as it pertains to COVID and vaccinations for NFL players and their ability to return within that five day window. Yeah. His vaccination status will no longer affect him differently than any other player in the league, but he still will miss at least five days. It's Spain and Fitz Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on this Friday night on ESPN radio. We started the show with some breaking news for Tando Ta- Fernando Tatis jr. Suspended for 80 games for violating the uh, MLB's PED policy. Um, I'm certain we'll get more information about that, but the Padres have announced that they are both shocked and extremely disappointed with this news. And as we talked about, Courtney, that is tough to swallow after you've just gone out and paid a massive haul for Soto, believing that you could put together a whole bunch of players and make a run. Uh, We're hoping to get Jeff Passana to talk about that. We also had some comments from Deshaun Watson as the Browns and Jaguars are facing off in their first preseason game. How's he going to look? I mean, we spend a lot of time, rightfully so, talking about his availability, the upcoming ruling on the on the suspension. But there's also just questions about how long he's been out of the game of football. Yeah, and I mean, I know that he played one series so far in this preseason game. I wouldn't imagine he'll play over two, so we'll get to actually see a little bit about more, I guess, you know, how how ready he is to be out there, but um, not a whole lot of Deshaun Watson expected tonight. So far, 0 for 2 for no yards. Uh, We'll have to check in on social media and otherwise to figure out how the crowd has received him in Jacksonville. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the slate of uh, NFL games, whole bunch happening tonight. So we'll get a look at a handful of teams, including the 49ers. They're getting ready for their first preseason game tonight. What can we expect from Trey Lance? We'll tell you next. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with me on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're keeping an eye on a whole bunch of NFL preseason action uh thanks to the listener who forwarded along some video it sounds like uh jaguars fans were making their feelings known about watson when he was out on the field a bunch of boos and and taunts uh, and then some cheers as he and his receivers failed to connect uh we'll keep you updated on his action and the rest of the slate of games uh but let's bring in espn 49ers reporter nick wagner to talk to us about the packers niners game that starts at 8 30 eastern I want to ask before we see him out there in a preseason game where you never really know what they're aiming at, what the general consensus has been in camp so far. How has he looked? Trey Lance, of course, I'm speaking of. Yeah, Sarah, it's been, uh, I think, probably pretty close to what you're going to get this season, which is a lot of ups and downs. You know, this is a guy, he's thrown 71 NFL passes in a regular season game. He barely had much of a college career. And so there's a lot of unknown here. And um, with that comes kind of, you know, the learning curve that they expected. So 
He, the one thing they do like about him is that when he has a rough day, as he did on this past Sunday, I think was probably his worst practice of camp. Uh, they had a day off on Monday, and he bounced back and had probably his best practice of camp on Tuesday. And so they've seen that kind of resilience that they like. Um, but there's been you know some flash plays where he does things that Jimmy Garoppolo, quite frankly, just isn't capable of doing, either with his legs or, or with his arm. Um, and then there's been some mistakes and some of the inaccuracy issues, which is a big question here for him is can he hit some of the intermediate passes that are such a staple of the Kyle Shanahan offense and um, so those are all things that I'm sure that they want to see out of him I don't think he's going to play a ton tonight Um, Kyle Shanahan indicated that he would play I'm not so sure that's going to happen but even if it does I'm guessing maybe a series or two at most so um, we probably won't get too much of a look at him tonight game game three of the preseason is is more likely to get an extended look uh, at Trey Lance. What's going to be different about this offense now that he's the starting quarterback? Like, what elements do you think of his game, Kyle Shanahan, will want to try to tap into? Certainly not giving the playbook away tonight, but knowing that he is such an athletic threat, are there certain goal line packages that you've seen in practice? Anything that has stood out to you as different from what the offense was like before? Honestly, Courtney, not really. I mean, the only thing that you're going to see a lot of that they didn't do with Jimmy Garoppolo is some of the zone read stuff, uh, you know, that, that that type of thing that'll take advantage of his legs and create a little bit more chaos for the defense trying to figure out who's got the ball. And you've seen some of that in practice. I, the way I always kind of phrase it when, when having this discussion is, is the offense, the Kyle Shanahan offense is always going to have the same staples, like wide zone, play action, bootleg, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's going to function differently with Trey Lance in, in the sense of with Jimmy Garoppolo, you saw a lot of you know 16, 17, 18 play drives where he's kind of dinking and dunking his way down the field, and Jimmy Garoppolo always had right around 70% completion percentage. With Trey Lance, that's probably going to drop to you know 58, 59, 60%, so a sizable drop off. But the way they hope to make up for that is including more deep balls, which you know Jimmy Garoppolo didn't do. In fact, over the last few years, he's attempted fewer 20 plus yard passes than anyone in the league. So you'll see more of that with Trey Lance, and then the run game action. So that they, their hope is that that will kind of offset. Uh, whatever they lose in terms of accuracy and completion percentage. In Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Nick Wagner, 49ers reporter. You can follow him at N Wagner on Twitter. Packers Niners get started at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We spent a lot of time talking about Trey Lance. Where are other points of interest, particularly in tonight's game for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing for the 49ers right now is this is a, this is a team that is really talented roster-wise outside of Trey Lance. And so their thing is is – they're not going to ask a ton of Trey Lance this year, but that means that all the other things need to be in place. And the, the big question for me right now, and it's not a you know super sexy thing to talk about on the radio, but it's the interior of the offensive line. Uh, they have new starters at all three of those positions as we sit here right now. Uh, they have a rookie right guard. They have a center. Uh, if the, their current center, Jake Brendel, wins that job, he has three starts to his name at the NFL. Um, and their left guard has zero starts in, in the NFL. So um, you tie that to Trey Lance, and it becomes a big question mark. And I think it's the one point that you could point to. Um, maybe not even call it a weak spot. It's a theoretical weak spot. And just the fact that it is so theoretical makes it a big question mark. So I'm guessing a lot of those guys, because they haven't played a ton of regular season football, are going to play a decent amount in the preseason just so they can get a handle on who they have, what they have, and if they need to make a move later on. Okay, so we've seen reports. Obviously, Deshaun Watson, we did not get a decision today about how long yep. the, the new suspension is going to be. But there have been reports that if it is longer than six games, which we expect, the 
the, the Cleveland Browns will be targeting Jimmy Garoppolo. What's what's the latest on that situation as far as his waiting period and this pattern, kind of holding pattern that he's in right now and figuring out what the next step is logically going to be in a, per, in a potential trade? Yeah, Courtney, I mean, that's that's kind of been what I've from what I've been told that has been kind of what they've been waiting on this whole time in terms of having to make a decision. Now, part of that is they haven't had any hard deadlines that they have to make a decision by, but they still have to try to do something before his contract would become guaranteed, which happens on September 10th. And also you have cut down uh, in, in late August that you need to make a decision by as well. And so um, there are a couple of at least soft deadlines that they need to make a decision by, but they are waiting on the Cleveland shooter drop. I've been told by people close to the Garoppolo camp, by people in the 49ers that that has been what they're waiting on. And it actually makes sense because Garoppolo has been around the team. He's been doing his throwing program at the facility, all of that stuff. And he doesn't, I've talked to him a couple times, just chatting with them and he doesn't seem upset. He seems like he's handling everything well. And, the reason for that would seem to be that he thinks that there's at least something on the horizon that's going to work out and work out well for him. So um, I think ultimately that is what their hope is. Uh, there's no guarantees with that, of course. But um, if it doesn't happen, I'm not really sure where he lands, and they would have to make a decision whether to release him as we get close to that season opener in Chicago. Yeah, Nick, wanted to ask about that. Nick Wagner, ESPN 49, 49ers reporter with us. Do you think that there's a chance that at some point, if teams wait them out long enough, they just have to cut him because they can't take on that kind of money um, while they need to look ahead to big contracts uh, on the horizon? Yeah, sir. I, I don't think I don't think they're going to do it. You know, they've they've talked kind of like, oh, we can do it, and they, I, I mean, they can do it, but do they want to? Do they want to guarantee you know twenty four plus million dollars in base salary this year? No, and it doesn't make sense for them to do that. And and it's just been made very clear he's not going to be here. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in theory they could do it, but they are going to have to make that decision at some point. I think the decision is probably pretty clear already. Um, I guess the only thing you would say is is what what would a team trade for him, or why would a team trade for him? him if they know the Niners are going to release him well the only advantage would be if there's going to be competition for him you get that first crack at kind of renegotiating his contract which is what's going to have to happen um if if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get traded is he's going to have to take a pay cut and remember unlike Baker Mayfield Jimmy Garoppolo has zero guaranteed dollars in his contract right now which means that he has ample reason to want to renegotiate his deal where he could at least get something guaranteed uh, from another team Nick, as we take a look at this preseason game tonight, I know everyone wants to talk about Trey Lance, and I'm glad we did, because now I can ask you about some of their draft <laughs> picks. There's not any names I think that the average you know person's going to be looking at saying, man, I really got to see Danny Gray try to catch a couple <laughs> balls from Trey Lance tonight. But who of this draft class, which you know kind of was, you know, it didn't have a lot of star power to it, who should we be looking at as potentially emerging in the preseason and earning a pretty considerable role? Yeah, I'll give you a quick, a couple of quick ones. But the first one I mentioned a, a minute ago, or at least referred to him, and that's it's Spencer Burford, who was a, a late-round pick, a day three pick. But he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse right now to be their starting right guard, which is a big ask for a rookie who was a late-round pick. But they, they like what they've seen from him so far. And so um, he's got a real shot to win that job. Now there's some things that could play out at center that could affect that, um, and maybe he gets bumped down. But as of right now, he's he's the guy. And then the other one is, is their highest pick, who is the second-rounder, Drake Jackson, defensive end from USC. They've been very pleased with what they've seen of him, even as far back as the spring. Uh, I think my bold prediction going into camp was that he was going to win the starting job opposite of Nick Bosa. Even if he doesn't do that, I think he's putting putting himself into position to, to carve out a pretty big role this year, and we know how the Niners love their pass rushers, so that is no small thing given the way they like to use those guys. Awesome stuff, Nick. Enjoyed the game tonight, and thanks for the insight. 
You got it. Take care. Nick Wagner, you can follow him at NWagner on Twitter. Packers Niners start today 30 Eastern. 49ers hoping that Trey Lance can get in the zone this season. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Coming up, it's Friday. There is no shortage of NFL sound. We'll play you some of the best bites from players and coaches this week. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Friday. You got Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get to one of our favorite segments, at least favorite names, Bite Me. But first, Fernando Tatis, a quick update. He appealed already and failed in his appeal of his suspension, so he will start his suspension immediately. Part of what he wrote was that he submitted uh, a test that returned a positive result for Clostebol, a banned substance. Turns out that I inadvertently took a medication to treat ringworm that contained Clostebol. I should have used the resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. I failed to do so. Has a bunch of apologies. Talks about how he'll start serving his suspension immediately. Now, the ringworm thing is a bit of a stretch already, and I can't vouch for you know this, this, the truth of this. Um, I need to do some more digging on it, but some reporters are already saying that the specific drug that he took is known to contain a banned anabolic steroid. Its likelihood of resulting in positive tests has been researched for a long time and would only be given for extremely severe skin conditions. So... It all sounds a little fishy, Courtney, and it it has resulted in Fernando Tatis Jr. getting an 80-game suspension. Yeah, and I mean, he was, I don't know, unless he's saying that somehow this was related to his wrist injury that had kept him out um, the whole season. Um, I don't know, maybe there was some sort of skin condition there where he felt like he could get by and taking this, this, this steroid effectively because... He could point to, well, I got ringworm from this. I don't know. The logic that you were just like were trying to lay out there, like from his side, it feels like he was playing with fire the entire time. If there's already Mm -hmm. been research done on this in knowing that there's, you know, there's a, a very banned substance in here that the Major League Baseball, I mean, everybody already knows about it, apparently. So, yeah, it's a it's a really unfortunate turn for the Padres. And as you mentioned, shoulder injuries, a wrist injury, a second wrist injury reportedly caused by motorcycle accidents and now PEDs. A lot of that sounds like stuff that he is in control of. All of this coming after a $340 million 14-year extension signed in February of 2021. So, um, so far that investment has been a rough one for the Padres, and he seems to have contributed a lot to his not being available. We'll keep you updated as Jeff Passan continues to report on that breaking news. But now it's time for a little fun with NFL coaches and players and Bite Me. One of the weirdest pieces of sound we have there. Let's hear it again. Thank you. Uh, Last night, we saw Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling plays for the Pats. Uh, We didn't see any Mac Jones, so rumors of how terrible things have looked were were not able to be ascertained last night. But Bill Belichick was asked if we will continue to see two play callers when the season starts. Do you know if one will call plays when the regular season arrives? Yeah, well, don't worry about that. We'll, We'll work it out. So have you decided? We're going through a process, just like everything else on this team. Don't worry about that, Courtney. I recognize it's your job, but we're going to go ahead and tell you not to worry about it. 
Just like the most Bill Belichick answer to that question. And I got to say, I didn't think it was going to get to this point, Sarah. I really thought that they were going to have something in place before the preseason where Mac Jones and other quarterbacks in the Patriots roster were not hearing two voices in their headset in one series. It's one play caller and another it's another. I did not think we were going to get here. I thought Bill was going to have this solved, but apparently I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, well, Bill would tell you he has everything solved. He just doesn't have any need to tell you about this it. This is part of the process. Mind they your were, own business. They, were, they knew this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all part of the process. They're on to Cincinnati. Now leave him alone. Uh, speaking of wanting to be left alone, Tua Tungvaluwa gets brought into the whole tampering Dolphins Tom Brady situation and needs to remind everyone, uh, I mean, I'm still the quarterback for the Dolphins. No, I think I answered that last week. Uh uh, sorry, yeah, because I think they were d- doing that in 2019, but then I came in 2020. So I, I mean, they picked me. So I, I mean, so. <laughs> so 2020, it's 2022. 20. I mean, I'm still here. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still here. I. To me, that's all noise at this point. Courtney, he tried his best to be like, yeah, that was before I got here. But the reporter insisted on being like, no, no, it was already when you were there as well. They still wanted him even after seeing you play. Now what do you say for yourself? And he's like, I got nothing to say, except I guess I'm still here. Yeah, what an uncomfortable spot for Tua to be in. I don't know if I would have answered that any other way um, other than biting back at the reporter who's trying to be like, look, they tried to get him not once but twice and including this past (laughs) offseason. And now uh, the weight of the franchise is just resting on you, Tua. So go be Tom Brady out there. Your husband continues to want to cheat on you. Uh, How do you feel about that? (laughs) Oh, it's rough. It's rough, but not as rough as this exchange. Carson Wentz, now quarterback for the Commanders, was in an interview with Scott Abraham of 7 News in Washington, D.C. And let's just say the questions were a little harsh. There's been kind of a narrative out there here in training camp that you've been a little inaccurate um, on your throws. Uh, Consistently inconsistent has been a kind of a terminology. How would you assess your performance in training camp? And is that characterization uh, fair? Yeah, I mean, for one, it's Cam. You know, I think uh, I didn't know that, so thank you. Yep. But, uh, yeah, because I, I know you time, told me you don't read that stuff. At the same time, uh, I'm my biggest critic. So I, I come back after practice, yeah. and I'm kicking myself over one, two, three, four, five plays, you know. Real talk here, Carson. It's been well documented. Philly didn't want you. Indy didn't want you. Do you think this is your last chance to prove that you can be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I don't really – think about all that stuff for me I'm playing the game that I love and I have the most confidence of anybody in myself to deliver to play at a high level um, to you know be a part of something special here with this team and so I don't I don't put all that pressure on myself I don't put you know people can can feel that way people can say what they want and uh, I have no issue with that you know that is what it is but for me I don't I don't think in those terms well it didn't go over well uh, in, in Commander's Camp, Jason Wright, uh, president of the Commanders, wrote uh, about the interview. Thankfully, Carson demonstrated grace and class in response to this pompous, unprofessional mess. I recognize you've made a living on childlike provocation, but it needs to be called out. Don't expect special access and good luck building rapport with the guys at Scott 7 News. Wow. Courtney, I think he could have focused more on how 
uh, Carson handled the questions well, but I have to admit the questions were kind of clumsy. They were thirsty. If you understand my, my take there, it was like, he seemed, um, it, like he was first of all searching to try to make some headlines and be provocative, but then also, you know, jumping in to kind of say, yeah, yeah, you told me you don't read the headlines. It all felt very awkward and like a little try hard. Um, also, um, the idea of saying there's a narrative, Anytime someone's like people are saying, or I've heard it's sort of, um, it's a cop out in terms of creating questions. Yeah. And it makes it sound like you haven't been at training camp actually witnessing this, which, you know, I'm not trying to go all beat writer on you, but this is the problem when you have local TV people parachute in for like one or two days of camp and then they go somewhere else and they're not actually there seeing it every single day because it comes across as accusatory. I don't think that the question, I mean, the questions were not phrased correctly. The premise yeah. of them though, we're fine. those are the questions that have to be asked during training camp to Carson Wentz, who is now on his third team since 2017. That's all fair, but it just comes across as super local TV. And I realize I sound pompous saying that, but like, these are the questions that they sound leading. They sound immature in a lot of ways and they sound mm -hmm. unprofessional and it's just like I think Jason Wright's statement was a little harsh being the president of the Washington commanders and you know putting that statement out there like we're not helping you with anything like good luck with your access that's a little bit of a low blow there right. um, agreed have PR reach out and, and say that instead of you taking Twitter to do that I completely agree. And I think you're right. The premises are fine, but part of the job is to craft questions in a way that's respectful. And those did feel like digs at someone, which is not how you're going to get the answer that you want either, right? If the intended goal is to get the answer you're looking for or an honest response, then putting them on the defensive isn't going to get that. Um, it looks more like a, a, an attempt at attention. Uh, this is a good one. The new Broncos owner, Rob Walton, uh, made sure to give thanks to the man in charge. I'd like to thank Roger uh, Goodell, uh, Commissioner Goodell. Uh, one more time. I'd like to thank Roger uh, Goodell, uh, Commissioner Goodell. Yeah, that doesn't just sound like someone who pronounces it weird. It sounds like someone who could not remember who the commissioner is. <laughs> Racking his brain. What's his name again? Uh, Goodell? Goodell? Oh, that's that's rough for Rob as he starts that position. Uh, we'll hear a little bit more later in the show. Coming up, how much should Pats fans be nervous? Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Friday. You got Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to head out to the phone line to talk to ESPN Patriots reporter Mike Reese. Mike, thanks so much for the time. I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you about first, and it's that Joe Judge, Matt Patricia play-calling duo last night. What do you make of seeing it, and do you think it continues? Well, Sarah and Courtney, it's great to be on with you tonight. Um, it was sort of interesting. You know, what I make of it is that it was sort of consistent with what we've seen throughout training camp, where Matt Patricia usually starts with the walkie-talkie, and he's been the one that seems to be communicating the most with Mac Jones. Um, but Joe Judge is always sort of right there. And they had one practice where they split the team up, starters and backups, and they did like an in-game simulation. And Matt Patricia was calling the plays to Mac Jones, and Joe Judge was calling the plays to Bailey Zappi and the backups. And that's sort of exactly uh, what we saw last week. Would it continue? Like, 
I wouldn't expect it to because I don't expect Bailey Zappi or the backup to really be playing during the regular season. Um, so I would think it would just continue to be Matt Patricia calling him into Matt Jill. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. Like when we talk about Matt Patricia, almost we assume that this was going to be his role. Why, why was he the de facto offensive coordinator for much of training camp when before this, I mean, he hadn't called offensive plays. Like why did Bill tab Patricia with this role from the start and, and then work judge into it? So Courtney, it's, it's really, there's a lot to this and it starts with the philosophy that Belichick has where he doesn't like to go out and hire a coach from outside the system who's going to bring in his own system and then the players have to learn something completely new. So he wants to sort of keep the basis of what they do. So it starts with that philosophy, like keep it in-house. And then I think the reason he went with Patricia is he didn't feel like he had an offensive coach under Josh McDaniels that was ready to take that promotion. So he wanted to stay in-house, and this was the coach he felt like he could trust the most. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz as we talk to Mike Reese. You can follow him at Mike Reese on Twitter. Uh, The Patriots offense in camp has been much maligned. Uh, Bill tells us not to worry. What have you made of what you've seen? Oh, well, Sarah, so the the first thing is (laughs) last night, I would say, was a positive step. Like, and and I'm curious what you both thought if you had a chance to watch the game, only because I always sort of fear as a reporter that's covering camp on a daily basis, like, you don't. You never want someone to watch something and say, "Wait, what has he been saying?" Like that wasn't that bad, hmm. and it really wasn't that bad last night, was it? I mean, yeah, I but you weren't I looking think at it was that bad. But you weren't looking at who you're going to see, right? And I guess the question is, when we say the offense, do we mean whatever approximation was facing the second stringers last night? with a long-time backup? Or are we talking about yeah. the execution we'll actually see from Mac Jones against good NFL defenses like what they play against when they play the ones in their own camp? That's really good context, and I think that's a really good point. And so I, I think what I would say was one, last night when I was in the locker room after the game, they felt good, even though it wasn't Mac and the starters, that they're taking positive steps. But to answer the question, like, what have I seen? A lot of, like, ups and downs and, and more downs quite frankly, they're, and, and they've said as much. The players have said, like, we, we're having some growing pains. Like, it's the, same, it's the same basis of the system they've run, but they've changed a lot within it. Like, a lot of the verbiage has changed. Like, and so what used to mean one thing now means something different. And, and I've seen them struggle to adjust to that. But I, I think I always caution and say they've only had 12 practices they need a little more time to figure it out. And it's not unreasonable to think they might be able to do that. What, what did Bill Belichick, what was his, um, his thoughts on how often his quarterbacks, especially Bailey Zappi, was under pressure last night? It feels like the Giants got very blitz happy, and I'm not so sure that that's what you expect in preseason games. But what did Bill think of it? Well, he, he said something this morning, Courtney. Someone asked him, why they didn't run much play action, you know, in the game. And he sort of made a remark that, that led you to believe that he was a little surprised at how much the Giants blitzed them. And I can tell you, 
uh, when I was in the locker room after the game, one player did mention to me, hey, could you believe how often they sent pressure, you know, against the rookie quarterback? And they were sort of um, impressed with the way their rookie quarterback handled the pressure because you don't expect to get blitzed in the 20s, you know, 20-plus times uh, in a preseason game. Mike, I'm hearing a lot of differing opinions about what we might expect from the Pats in their division and and, in the larger scope. What do you see for this team in this regular season? So so I look at, well, it's obviously the Bills division, right? I think that's sort of obvious. To me, it's a question of who's two. Is it the Patriots or the Dolphins? So that's sort of my view of it. What I think is more interesting, Sarah, is what's Robert Kraft's view of it, the owner? Like, he's not, he's not lowering the expectations. You heard what he said earlier this year. He's not happy that they haven't won a playoff game in the last three years, and he expects the team to be a contender. So I sort of look at it and say, it doesn't matter what I think or what anyone else thinks. This is the guy at the top of the line. And he's setting the expectation for, for what he believes this team is capable of. And that, to me, is part of what's going to make this season compelling. Because if the Patriots don't get there, and I, I hear what you're saying, a lot of people don't think they will. You know, what's the sort of, I don't want to say fallout, but what's the end result and what lead, what happens if that's ultimately the case? Is part of the reason for that, too, I mean, just the amount of moves that they didn't make at the wide receiver position. I remember even a couple years ago during Tom Brady's final seasons in New England, it always felt like there was this missing piece in the passing game that they didn't have. And, you know, you look at their depth chart now, Parker, Aguilar, Myers, none of those guys played last night. Is there hope that some of the rookies, the Taekwon Thorntons of the world, uh, those guys will actually be able to give Mac Jones what he needs in the passing game to make sure that that's a healthy part of the offense? I, I, I think there is, Courtney. But to answer your question, the reason I think that people are down on the Patriots is just perception. I mean, what, what, what is the perception of Matt Patricia as a coach? It's not very high because of what happened in Detroit. What's the perception of Joe Judge as a coach? Not very high because of what happened with the Giants. So I think Bill Belichick looks at it differently. He thinks they're exceptional coaches, and it doesn't matter to him that they've never coached at this level on offense because his philosophy is that if you're a good coach, you can, be able, you can coach anything, any position, and it shouldn't matter. So it's an unconventional line of thinking from Belichick. And it's going to be fascinating to see if he's right. And to me, when I drill down on it, I think that's where the perception of what a lot of people view the Patriots as and what the Patriots hope the reality is, is that they're a contender. That, to me, is where the gap starts when, you, when we talk about this. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about this team, the expectations, Mac Jones, the coaching staff, et cetera. You are going to be a busy man, Mike, and we appreciate the time, so thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Courtney. Have a great night. Mike Reese, you could follow him at Mike Reese on Twitter, our ESPN Patriots reporter. Don't forget, you could tune into an AL East rivalry Sunday as the Red Sox host the Yankees. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app and at 7 p.m. on ESPN Rough start for Zach Wilson. First drive of the preseason, he throws an interception, staring down a guy, and now he has gone back to the locker room with injury. 
We'll get you caught up on everything coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The absolute worst case for NFL teams is to see exciting players that they hope to see a lot of in the regular season injured in preseason action. And that appears to be the case for the Jets starting quarterback. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Zach Wilson left the game tonight. And Rich Samini, who covers the team, is now telling us that the Jets say it is a knee injury questionable to return looks like it buckled as he was running away from the tackler on a run and it looks like it's his right leg it was his right knee that was injured last year uh injured in october i believe he missed a couple games came back in november and admitted when he came back that it still was unstable courtney this would be terrible news for the jets Oh my gosh, I keep watching this video and I think the only thing that's giving me a little bit of hope right now is that he did get up right after. Like I mean, my first thought when you see a knee a knee buckle like that and I'm no doctor, but I've seen enough ACL injuries that that was what worried me, but and even though you can still walk with a torn ACL, the fact that he got up right away after that gives me some hope, but this is, you know, this is going to be the knee that we're all watching this weekend, trying to figure out going into year two, is Zach Wilson going to have any sort of setback? Because that would just be absolutely brutal considering all the things the Jets did right this offseason in free yeah. agency and in the draft to try to build around him for a preseason knee injury to take him out would just be absolutely brutal. And as we're talking about this, a late hit on Jalen Hurts. Uh, out of bounds already, and I can't see the player in this clip who comes out of nowhere and not only takes him out when he's already on the sideline, but looks like there's some head-to-head contact. So, uh, man, this could be a a rough matchup here as uh, the Jets and Eagles are facing off. uh, We're keeping an eye on all the different NFL preseason action. We also were watching Deshaun Watson take his first NFL action in over a year. His final stats, one for five for seven yards, zero touchdowns. I, I think we talked about this during the commercial break, Courtney. I think if you're going to have someone get out there, just you, you, you want more than that to get any sense of a rhythm, to really get anything out of it. I just don't know what you get out of that. Understanding also that the optics are terrible, why you think it was worth it for such a limited uh, amount of time out there. Yeah, he was out there for two series, which... I think a lot of quarterbacks we're starting to see. I know that Jalen Hurts, probably because of the injury, only was out there for one. Uh, I wouldn't anticipate that other quarterbacks tomorrow, you know, the Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears team that I cover, I wouldn't anticipate that that's more than two series. It makes sense just from it being the first preseason game, but you can't tell anything from 15 to 20 plays that you're looking at. Like, if you're going to do the preseason – I could even understand the argument for doing one or two preseason games where you have your starters play a half because there is something to be said about getting in a rhythm in football and that it takes time and that translating that from going 20 days of training camp into your first preseason game, the risk of injury is always there. The speed of the game is different. I know that people want to say that and coaches want to posture that it is the same speed from those training camp practices because they have pads on and they're practicing at a physical level. It's different when you get to a preseason game you hate to see the injuries though like that anytime you see stuff like what's happening tonight you just that's the end the preseason argument coming out loud in full force and you can absolutely understand it I just really hope that Hertz is okay I hope that Zach Wilson's okay you just don't want to see people's you know seasons over on August 12th 
before you know the second first preseason game's even over. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. You heard her mention the Bears that she covers. Next segment, uh, uh, two segments from now, we're going to do a little Ask Courtney. You can ask her about Bears camp, Roquan Smith. You can ask her about the Vikings, who she covered for a while. Any other NFL stories that you're into, uh, we're going to close out our Friday with a little Ask Courtney time. So we'll throw it up at Spain and Fitz, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Sarah Spain. Uh, give us your questions for Courtney. You mentioned some other injuries. The Falcons have announced that wide receiver Drake London has a knee injury. He's not going to return that per Adam Schefter. Jeff Darlington tweeted that Brown center Nick Harris uh, was taken off by the cart second play of the game. Um, So that, of course, uh, a a big deal for whoever's going to be starting early in the season and then later for the Browns. yeah, so there's a number of injuries that we are we are seeing um, out there tonight. And I, I get your point, Courtney, about why some people would want to get rid of the preseason. I also totally understand that it's nearly impossible for supporting players who are trying to make those last spots on a roster to really prove themselves. No matter how much you try to replicate it in practice, they're just gamers. And you see them out there making plays and uh, – that that gets them that last shot. And I think it'd be tough if you had no preseason to pull that off. Yeah, there would be no way to fill out a roster to get from 90 to 53 without the evaluation of games. And that's why you see so often starters not playing. I know yesterday, Mac Jones didn't play in, in the preseason opener for the New England Patriots. A lot of their receivers didn't play as well. And that's great because you do get a look at – the guys further down the depth chart and you know injuries happen in training camp I will bring up the team I cover again the Bears they have a lot of receivers that are hurt right now so preseason games serve for guys further down the depth chart to try to carve out roles for themselves because I've seen it happen multiple times where you have someone who is you know seventh guy in the depth chart becoming a training camp hero and might work his way onto the practice squad. Now, it's it's so rare that you'll end up seeing somebody in the preseason just have an absolute splash and, and, and become an impact player on the 53 right away, but those practice squad spots are important. There's a reason that that exists. There's a reason they expanded it to 16 with the COVID year and being able to have more players get those spots to try to help out on these rosters when there are 17 games to play. So, There'd be no way you could evaluate a full roster just with training camp. I know that teams did it two years ago during the COVID season, but that's not the way that they want to operate going forward normally, which is why we saw the preseason come back into play last year. I think it's great, though, that it was – nobody will disagree with this – that it goes from four games to three. That third game becomes the most important one, and – I think by and large, most teams know, given when roster cut down day is, that that third preseason game is how you're filling out your depth chart. That is the last spots on the 53, uh, since there are three cuts before you get there. And that's that's the only way you can evaluate it. And it's, you know, I'm not surprised that a lot of teams don't play their starters, but those other guys, those the, the blue-collar players that we like to call them, who make up most of the rosters in the NFL, that's where, um, you know, that's where they get their opportunity. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. We'll talk a little more football next, but we also have to re-update you on the breaking news just before the show started with Fernando Tatis Jr. Here's Jeff Passan on SportsCenter breaking it down. Kevin, the 80-game suspension is perhaps the biggest Major League Baseball has seen in terms of name since Alex Rodriguez was suspended. And the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. at 23 years old 
really at the beginning of a 14-year, $340 million guaranteed contract that he signed with the Padres was frankly stunning. All of baseball right now is shocked by this, and they're shocked because you don't see a player of his caliber, of his age, and of his contract status, or at least baseball hasn't seen that combination in someone who's tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, earlier today, rumors were percolating throughout the Dominican Republic, specifically San Pedro de Macorís, the city in which Fernando Tatis Jr. grew up. I heard from a number of people down there who were saying, I hope it's not true, I hope it's not true. Well, it was true in Major League Baseball. Kevin laid down an 80-game suspension that'll keep him out for the remainder of this season, the 48 games left, as well as 32 games to begin the 2023 season. Tatis will start that ban immediately, and that is a huge blow to the Padres. Uh, Courtney, we talked about it, not just that he alleges that he inadvertently took a medita medication, which at this point no one should be doing as a professional athlete ever again for all the stories that we've heard, but also the other ways that he's been unavailable to the team in part because of motorcycle accidents and other things. So a massive investment in that player has not thus far been fulfilled on his end. Coming up, when can we expect an announcement on Deshaun Watson's punishment? We'll ask Jeremy Fowler when he joins us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Friday. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you as always. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Happy to welcome in ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler. So much to get to as we get our first big night's slate of preseason games. And let's start with Trey Lance. Uh, I heard a crazy thing, and, and I knew this to be true, but I was just reminded of it, that if he plays two preseason games and the whole season, that will already double the number of games he's played, both collegiately and professionally, because he only had 19 starts in college. So they need to get every single chance to look at impossible. What are you expecting from him in this first preseason game? Yeah, I'm expecting a significant run for him over the next few weeks. I mean, he started three games in the last two years, two in the NFL when Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt and then won his last year of college. So uh, clearly he needs to get up to speed. You know, the 49ers have been trying to work overtime to get that going, to get him comfortable. Um, and really in the last week or so, they, they've implemented more running plays for him in practice, So you know, because he's a true dual threat guy. So uh, they want to mix in a little bit of both. And so Kyle Shanahan's the, the right guy for that job. I mean, really – Trey Lance, among the second-year quarterbacks, might be in the best situation because of the coach he has and the weapons he has around him. Uh, they just want to try to expedite that learning curve as quickly as they can. I've heard a lot coming out of 49ers training camp about his throwing mechanics, and I feel like people have been so zeroed in on how he throws the ball and maybe some of the things yeah. that Kyle Shanahan has done to alter that. What has that looked like for Trey Lance in training camp as he's trying to, I guess, hone some of the things that are like skill sets that are required for him to play the position? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think they've there was some a little bit of concern about that around the pre-draft process, and then you know he threw so much in the draft and then in 49ers practices last year that he did get a little bit of like I believe it was like bicep fatigue from what I had heard, and so he had to shut it down for just a few weeks, nothing major. 
Um, and then since then, you know, he's been training in the offseason with some coaches in L.A. that are, are trying to get him right. Um, he's one of those guys that has a very strong arm. It just it looks a little bit different. Um, you know, when you talk to, like, quarterbacks, coaches, uh, they'll tell you he, he can get the job done. It's just he maybe doesn't have, like, the natural fluid release that, say, a Deshaun Watson has or, you know, Aaron Rodgers or some of those. But, but then again, neither did Phillip Rivers. Or some very successful quarterbacks looked a little different when they threw. Uh, so I don't sense the 49ers really alarmed by that, but uh, they do have to kind of stay on top of his footwork and his accuracy and some of those things. We're talking to ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. We saw some of the Pats last night, and we learned that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were splitting the play-calling duties. Do you think that carries on into the regular season? And if so, how do you feel about it? Well, I expect that they'll name one play caller eventually. Well, Bill Belichick probably won't even name him, uh, but there will be one privately who's calling the plays. Now, it will still be collaborative like most offenses are, but uh, I, I expect one of those two, Matt Patricia or Joe Judge, and, and it seems to be leaning toward Patricia just because in the offseason and OT is a minicamp, he was the one relaying the plays most often, seemed to be uh, the most heavily involved in that process. Um, but, you know, I've heard that a lot of the players have responded to Joe Judge, too, who handled some of the passing concepts with the quarterbacks uh, and the wide receivers. So, um, yeah, it, it, this is one of the biggest storylines in the NFL. remains a mystery. Uh, I don't know that it would be such a storyline if you didn't have a second-year quarterback. I think that's the main issue uh, is just, you know, a young player who needs to maximize his potential, and uh, nobody really knows what's going to happen here, although – I think, from, from my understanding, their goal is to try to streamline the offense that had years of, like, Josh McDaniels' language in it with Tom Brady, and it was kind of complicated, and so they're trying to sort of make it a little easier and digestible, but that, that takes some growing pains. Jeremy, Todd Bowles, head coach for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, said that Tom Brady's going to be away from the Bucks for a period of time because he's dealing with some personal stuff. He's going to be back after – next week's preseason game against the Tennessee Titans, so after August 20th. Do you, is there a concern within the Bucks right now about what that absence could maybe cause within a leadership sort of vacuum, not having Tom Brady there to guide the Bucks through training camp? Yeah, Courtney, I don't sense that they're overly concerned right now because they, they did know about it. Um, you know, as it was pointed out to me, like if this was a starting guard or starting cornerback, then it would be okay. But since it's Tom Brady, it does get magnified a little bit. Um, and there's a sense of like, okay, Tom Brady can, to an extent, sort of do what he wants uh, in small doses. But, uh, you know, if, it's, if this is something that lingers or you know, becomes a recurring theme, uh, that could be an issue. And, you know, there's, they want to make sure that, Tom's getting on the same page with his new targets, like Kyle Rudolph, <coughs> excuse me, and Julio Jones, and you know, a new center that he's got to work with. But I feel like they got off on a really good start the first couple weeks of camp, and so they're not really playing from behind in that area. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird, mysterious thing. Like it should be a cause for concern. I'm not sensing any any of that out of Tampa right now, but um, certainly something to watch. We're talking to Jeremy Fowler, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, as we talk to our ESPN senior NFL reporter with a big slate of preseason games that have already begun, that are about to begin. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson. I did not expect to see him out there tonight. I thought for certain the NFL would do whatever was necessary to prevent 
him from being seen in uniform in any game, preseason or regular. And yet, no ruling yet, and he was out there. What did you make of that? Yeah, I'm with you, Sarah. I was a little surprised because even uh, when I visited Cleveland for my training camp tour, I got the sense that they were expecting something this week, you know. Uh, but nobody outside of Peter C. Harvey, who's the lawyer making this decision, really knows. And so it's up to him. This does leave sides a little more time to potentially come to a settlement, you know, between the Players Union, Watson, and the NFL. Um, you know, makes me wonder if that's in play. I can't say that for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, they could have some more talks and see if they can come to some sort of common ground. You know, it's my understanding that Watson is open to incurring a fine, you know, a hefty fine, if it helps him get on the field faster, you know. So if that shaves a couple games off of what's going to be a year-long suspension, let's say, uh, then that could be a positive for him. And then his contract doesn't toll to the next year, which can affect, you know, future uh, years of earning power. Some of that stuff, it, it just strategically, you know, he's trying to get on the field whenever he can. And so maybe the league won't satisfy that. You know, they're, they're pretty set on, on a full year here. So there's some posturing going on. But meanwhile, it's really down to one person who's making the call and everybody's waiting. And you haven't heard anything about timing on that? No, I mean, it's uh, nothing hard and fast. I mean, I, we could see early next week. Yeah, that's, that's what happened with uh, Sue L. Robinson's ruling when it came last week on that Monday morning. There, there was some rumbling that Sunday night that something was going to go down. So maybe it will be something similar. But, you know, the, it was funny. The Browns were sort of on high alert today because if word came down that Watson was out for the year, they were going to have to, like, pull him out of the building, essentially, or off the team bus. Because uh, if it's a full game, then he can't participate in the preseason. Yeah. So, like, if it was – a 15-game suspension, you know, he'd be eligible for part of the season and therefore could participate. But if it's the full game, then he would have to be out. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on and expecting that ruling any time now. Uh, really appreciate your time, Jeremy. Appreciate it, and thanks for thanks for the insight. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Courtney. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior NFL writer. You can follow him at ESPN. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up. Ask Courtney, a fun way to close out our Friday. You got some good questions for her. We'll get to them next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Friday. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. We started the show talking about a handful of things. Deshaun Watson making his first appearance. Pretty uneventful uh, outing for him. Very short uh, no touchdowns, I believe one completion out of seven passes. We also talked about Sylvia Fowles, who's now playing in her final regular season game. Tons of great tributes coming in. Stories by Mirren Fader, story by Kevin Van Valkenburg. Definitely read about the impact she's had on the WNBA. And also the breaking news to start the show that Fernando Tatis Jr. has been suspended for PEDs 80 games out for the rest of the season and the postseason. And Dennis Lynn, who covers the Padres, uh, tweeted this about Padres GM A.J. Preller. Preller did not learn Fernando Tatis Jr. had failed the drug test till he received a call at about 3.45 p.m. Eastern today. He said, I think we're hoping that from the offseason to now that there would be some maturity. And obviously with the news today, it's more of a pattern and something we've got to dig a little bit more into. I'm sure he's very disappointed, but at the end of the day, it's one thing to say it. You have to start by showing it with your actions. That sounds like an incredibly disappointed person who is looking at a contract for 14 years, $340 million, and a player who has missed a lot of time for injuries from motorcycle accidents and now 
PEDs. Yeah, and I mean, he's 23 years old. At some point, yes, that is still young. You've got to grow up because, like you had mentioned earlier in the show, the multiple injuries, some which were self-inflicted, that wrist injury was a motorcycle. It's due to mm-hmm. a motorcycle accident. And I don't know. I've been researching what cholesterol is and, and whether it was supposed to help him heal. It doesn't sound like anabolic steroids help with ringworm, which is what he is Claimed saying he that he, had, t- yes. he took this thing for. You know, I just I don't understand why athletes, some athletes who get caught for this stuff, keep deferring to, well, I didn't know what was, you know, what I was taking. I was just, you know, I didn't know that a, there was a banned substance in this. They pay people. They pay dietitians. They pay chefs. They pay so many people to make sure that whatever is going in their body is going to help them perform at a peak level and also is supposed to be legal. So I just don't buy that. I don't think anybody can buy that claim right. anymore that these athletes don't know. It's too tough to believe. And uh, man, is this a blow to a Padres team that a lot of people said, hey, they might be many games behind the Dodgers in the division race, but in the playoffs, they are not a team that you want to face with the new additions. And this is a huge blow as as, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. was set to come back very soon. All right. We teased this earlier in the show. Going to close out the Friday with a little bit of fun. I'm going to ask Courtney some questions, and we'll start with the question that I have for you. Uh, Ryan Poles, Bears GM, said this about the team's offer to disgruntled player Roquan Smith. There's record-setting pieces of this contract. I knew for a fact, was, I thought was going to show him the respect that he deserves, and obviously that hasn't been the case. Uh, with that said, you know we can't lose sight that this isn't about one player. My job is to build a roster that's going to sustain success for a long period of time. Yeah, Courtney, it felt like they were doing right by him for a while, putting him on pup. Then it made, then he went public with it, and now it feels like all the gloves are off. Yeah, because the day after the trade request comes out, he's miraculously able to pass a physical, and oh, you're off pup now. Like I know that they would, that they'll never come out and say that it was a mechanism to try to help the player because once that player is on pup, that doesn't like give you an. It's an active roster spot, so it's not like you get an extra roster spot and have to waive somebody. And he got paid while he was on there. Uh, the way that I saw that is whatever the injury was, whether it was something that they could milk, uh, they did it to help the player while these negotiations were ongoing. And you know, Roquan Smith statement that came out at 7:44 a.m. central time on Tuesday morning caught everybody by surprise everybody who follows the team everybody who covers the team and everybody in the front office I think that Ryan Poles expressed a lot of shock when he came and spoke with us kind of unexpectedly after the Bears had practice at Soldier Field and I could almost tell a sense of irritation in what he was saying that there are record setting Mm -hmm. pieces of the contract. And he felt like that was showing respect to a player who he has said all along, nothing but great things about in terms of on the field and off the field. Like, We don't know how the contract is structured because I always see fans want to jump to the support of the team right away and say, well, the player's being selfish. Like if they offered him something, he should have taken it. You know, how was the contract structured? Was it, I mean, was it backloaded where some of the years on the end of the deal, he wouldn't have even seen that money anyways? Like, the end, it's a game with these contracts because of the guarantees and how they're structured. And if it's a player who does not have an NFLPA certified agent, doesn't mean that he's not getting help somewhere else and learning how to structure these things, but he's trying to do it himself. And it just makes it all that much more tricky to figure out. So I think that there's a lot that we can parse through here. I actually have an FAQ coming out Sunday or Monday on what this situation, per, per, what 
you know, everything that's within it and, and how the situation can get solved. You'll see it at ESPN.com because there's a lot here. And if the Bears didn't – if they weren't going to pay him top of market back in April when these negotiations started or at least got the idea that they were going to trend towards that, I think that they should have traded him back then and truly gone through the rebuild process where they got rid of literally everyone. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. We're doing a little Ask Courtney, so let's blow through some of these other questions. Jermaine Jones wants to know who you've been impressed with in camp outside of fields. Hmm. I mean, Mooney's great. I think that he's, you know, the way that he's risen to the level of a number one receiver within this offense. I think if you have a fantasy team and you're looking for uh, a later round wide receiver, maybe, you know, like rounds like three through six, Mooney would be a great option. Um, I'd have to say, I think that Braxton Jones, the left tackle, rookie fifth rounder who immediately supplanted Tevin Jenkins upon arriving in Chicago and then holding on to that job after they brought Riley Reef in. I think that it most people thought that it was, you know, a done deal that Reef was going to be at left tackle and they weren't going to trust the blind side of the quarterback, uh, leave that in the hands of a rookie. And they, clearly they are, at least right now. And I mean, tomorrow will be a big a big sign, uh, at least how he, how long they play, the first team offensive line, and how he handles, you know, going against Kansas City's uh, defensive line. What the I want to move on from the Bears. Group. Yeah, I want to move on from the Bears, but real quick, any other rookies that you like so far? There's a lot of them. Um, you know, Valus Jones, when he's actually playing, is uh, he, he's he can fly. He's so fast. Cool. Uh, JFC seventy two. Uh, is a Pats fan wondering about the OC situation. Uh, do you care whether he assigns someone officially that title, and do you care if you make sure that there's one play caller? Bill Belichick's going to do what Bill Belichick always does, which is write his own rules and march to the beat of his own drum. I feel like he actually gets some joy out of all of the questions, which he loves to then shut down as, don't worry about it, um, even though that's our job as reporters to worry about. I think that they will end up assigning one play caller. You cannot have that many different voices in your head, uh, in your headset uh, as a quarterback like Mac Jones going into a second year. It's make or break. So, no, Bill knows that. I think that it will be Patricia at the end of the day, and he's trying to get Joe Judge some, some solid reps as a play caller, and I don't think that that will be Judge's job, though, this season. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin. In for Fitz, we're doing Ask Courtney. Uh, the mediocre Gatsby, Gatsby wants to know if you buy into the propaganda that the problems were all about Zimmer and that the Vikings will be great now with their new coach. You know, there's been a, it's interesting because, yes, Zim, the, the writing was on the wall and the timing of his firing, I think, was appropriate because the team could go no further with the direction that the head coach was leading them in. Do I think it's going to be miraculously different under Kevin O'Connell? No, not necessarily, even though you do have – I think from fresh perspective and, like, the culture aspect, it was time, and you're going to have guys who are re-energized and rejuvenated. But you still have a quarterback who's won one playoff game leading your offense. So I don't buy the notion that there's one person now, and it's Kevin O'Connell, and he's going to get the most out of Kirk Cousins at, at this point of his career where he's 34 years old because we've heard that same thing over and over and over again. And I just – it hasn't come to fruition. He is what he is. He's a good quarterback, but he's not a scheme-transcendent quarterback. So whether Kevin O'Connell's the head coach, whether Mike Zimmer's the head coach, I think the root of it will ultimately be what you get out of the quarterback position. 
Kevin Costa wants to know who are the counselors at Bears Camp, bears or humans? Humans. Humans. I, I did not see any animals out there. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm always jealous of our Connecticut coworkers who post videos of bears in their backyard. I know it can be scary at times, but I'm into it. All right, speed round. Is Minnesota nice a real thing? Yes, 100%. Better Half accent, aggression. Minnesota or Chicago? Chicago, but times 100. Best hot dog in Chicago? Hmm, Portillo's. Lou Malnati's or Giordano's? Lou Malnati's. Chicago and classic. Gro- growing up, uh, what do you like most? Or actually, what do you like most now? Player stats, player development, game matchups. What's the most exciting part of covering football for you? I think it's the roster building process, personally. Um, the scouting. If I wasn't a reporter, I think I'd want to go into scouting because I think building a team and actually constructing a roster is where my interests are. I'm fascinated by that, too, especially the teams that can never figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's not that big of odds. One in 32, is it? I think 32 teams, right, uh, win every year, and yet there's some teams that just can't figure it out. It's like, how? How is that possible? And what are you doing every time? Uh, speaking of, every member of the Lions front office is going to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.